Señoras y señores, what is going on? And welcome back to El Parcero Filicón. We are back at it with the, this great edition of the series. Appreciate everyone who waited for it for this one. We are up to episode 19 of this great series. And as everyone is excited about Philly sports, let's not forget that our Philadelphia 76ers open up their season on Tuesday night. So we're going to preview that season. Before we dive into today's edition of El Parcero Filicón, First off, thank you so much for tuning on in. Make sure you guys hit that like button, subscribe for more Philly sports. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's introduce today's episode guest from from the Painted Lines and contributing for the NBA for USA Today. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Austin Crow. Austin, welcome on in. And how you feeling, man? Doing well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you coming on here, man. Listen, you NBA. It's your bread and butter, man. So I'm sure that you're, you're you're gearing up for vacations are over and it's all full throttle from here on in, man. Yeah, nap time is over. There's no more <laughs> afternoon naps. <laughs> well, well, also, I do have to ask, man, because it's a weird, ironic time in Philadelphia. Eagles 6-0, Phillies NLCS, Flyers 2-0, the list goes on and on. Dude, and in and the midst of all this, man, the Sixers are kind of like slowly getting lost in translation. Like, how are you handling this? I'm not sure if you are a Philly sports fan. If you are, man, how, how are you handling this crazy landscape? Uh, yeah, I've grown up in the market, 26 years in the market. So uh, this is uncharted territory for me, having all of these teams <laughs> performing well uh, at the same time. Or in the Sixers case, pretty lofty expectations coming in. Um, it's It's... It's unique. It's exciting. Um, you know, it, it, I'm not, this is my third year on the Sixers beat. So I'm not used to the the Phillies eating into the market share of the, of, of the fan consumption uh, this late in October. So it is a little bit like how long, like, damn, how long is this going to last before the like Sixers become, you know, the central point. And that isn't to say like, I want the Phillies to lose. I'm just saying that, it, like, like, I'm not used to, you know, the, the my, it's usually just the Eagles dominate, and then the Sixers, is, it's a big bash when they start. But, uh, you know, now the Sixers are kind of the third in the attention uh, ranking right now. So it's a little bit a little bit weird. Um, I'm sure they like being the, the, the team that commands the least amount of attention uh, so they don't have to come off to a hot start, guns blazing, and have, you know, all the – eyes on them but uh come november december january it's going to be all about them and the eagles so this is very true man it, it is definitely weird to kind of see you know and also when I, when I think back at it like obviously the phillies haven't made the postseason 11 years you know i think back to that time period dude that was probably my most fun experience as a sixers growing up sixers fan growing up because 2001 i was a little bit too young for it right and so 2011, they go on this remarkable run, which I never expected, and they take Boston in Game 7, and that was freaking awesome. And so it's been a while, and a lot has definitely changed. And like you mentioned, every every around this time of the year, you know, we're all looking for the expectations. Will the Sixers get out of the second round? And so now we shall see, man. But let's get into these Sixers, right? So I want to kind of focus real quick on to last year. In your opinion, Austin, there's a lot of – Factors of why they weren't able to get out of the second round again. But for you, what was the main factor? Joel and Bitelf. Um, okay. You know, I, I thought that, I well, obviously the Sixers are always going to rise and fall as he rises and falls. Um, he rises and falls, I should say. But, um, you know, they, 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 there's the emotional 
uh, swing of getting him back for game two or game three and four in Miami or against Miami. And then, you know, they tie the series up. Um, I actually thought they were going to win the series because I thought that uh, I guess my faulty assumption was that as the series went on, he would get more comfortable. Um, yeah. And, you know, by game six, it was just evident that, um, you know, emotionally, physically, he was worn down from the face issue, from the uh, from from that from the hand issue. And, um, you know, it was it, 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 he, he could only, he only they only had so many personnel to lift him up. Um, you know, Maxie in his second year did a tremendous job, but you know, at there a certain point, your, your, your development from one year to the next is only going to take you so far. Um, and you know, Harden was obviously not right. And so, you know, a lot of people thought people, some people thought it was a failure. I kind of thought they were like right where I expected them to be with, with the whole Ben Simmons saga. Um, I thought maybe they could have changed their outlook on last season with the with like you know a couple other wins. There were a couple games that they lost at the course of the season where you look back and you're like, damn, if they win those games, they're probably the two or the three seed, and that might change who they play in the first second round. And you know, to be fair, they would still have ended up with Boston or you know whoever, and had to deal with them eventually. But um, you know, I, th- I thought given all they dealt with between COVID inconsistencies um, and the Ben Simmons thing and trying to integrate Harden, him not being right. I kind of thought that they, you know, they, 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 they did what they could, but um, I thought they had a chance to win and they didn't win. I, I agree with you. I feel like the gas, you know, kind of ran out for not only Joel and Embiid, but for the rest of the team. I mean, Joel's battling two serious injuries, and a lot for a lot of people who don't don't understand what it's like playing at the high level. Like it's it's kind of a lot to kind of grasp there. Um, despite that, I'm with you. Like there was a point where it looked like the Sixers were going to take the series. <laughs> it would have been truly remarkable. Uh, and unfortunately, listen, the Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler, we know him very well, and. A guy we're about to talk about a lot about PJ Tucker had a really fine series as well, and they are a veteran bunch that know what they're doing. So, it, it to me, I, in considering like you mentioned the fact that we were slowly trying to integrate and trying to get uh, the chemistry going with James Harden and, and the rest of the team, and it looked real. I thought they took some good steps last year, but when you're talking about the playoffs, when you're talking about big dogs, it, it's tough. It takes a different type of mentality to do it. So. That kind of brings us into this year, Austin, right? So it was an interesting offseason. A lot of hype surrounded around the team because it was a, they made some moves. Um, I wanted to, you know, considering a couple things here. So despite the hype around the offseason, there was still no dynamic wing added on. Some people are still concerned about P.J. Tucker's age, and some people are still concerned that Doc Rivers is still here in Philadelphia. For you, overall, what was the grade of the offseason? A, uh, a, a minus A. I mean, Really, I mean, you 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 have to grade it relative to what other teams did, and relative to what other resources were out there. Um, and you know, they're a team that they have to find the heart. They have to figure out what the Harden contract is. They have to you know get buy-in from him to take a discount. So that way, they can you know materially upgrade their roster. And that also means that he is going to have some say in you know who they bring in because you know if, if they're going to. If, if they're going to get him to take a lesser, lesser contract, you know, he's got to be okay with the moves that they make. And so, uh, you know, I thought that with 14 million roughly of space, 
uh, that he gave them. They add a, a, a very rugged defensive wing uh, who, even at 37, can switch across multiple positions. Um, it just does just barely enough on offense to be passable um, and fit. And, you know, uh, people are concerned about his age. I can, I'm concerned about a 37 year old's age. If you're asking them to create offense themselves and be the def, the best defensive player on the team and bang with big bodies all night long, um, that's not Tucker's role. And he's going to be a limited offensive player to begin with. So I don't think you, I think there's a, you know, there's in the role that he has being 37, isn't that taxing. Um, if he takes care of his body the right way, of course. Um, and then you you turn Danny Green, who who have been out the whole year, and your first round pick into DeAnthony Melton. Um, he had a rough preseason on offense, a pretty good defensive showing, but I thought that was a win. Um, and the George and then not the George, the uh, Daniel House contract. Uh, you know, a little bit of an overpay. You about to say Jordan Poole because I would have loved. <laughs> I, would have said, I was going to say George Niang actually. Oh. <laughs> um, now he's now he still has to recover from a black eye, you know, in, in Golden State. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I thought that with the resources they had, they upgraded their roster in ways that they really needed to. Um, it still wouldn't shock me if they made another move as the season goes on. Um, but yeah, I think that this team is you know, compared to what they to, what was out there compared to what other teams did. This is a really good offseason for them. I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think that the main concern has, over, I mean, not just even last year, but the past couple of seasons has been depth. And I, I really do think that they have expanded the depth. And we'll, we'll talk about the rotation just a little bit. But I nailed it with P.J. Tuck. Like, we're not asking P.J. to do something that he didn't do last year. We're asking him to do exactly what he did last year. And that's he flourishes, and he can still do this at a very high level. So I'm definitely excited uh, to see what this this Sixers depth can potentially look like. So, with that being said, um, for you, what does this rotation look like? You know, I guess it's it's Doc Rivers, so let's keep that in mind. So, like from one through nine, I mean, what does the rotation look like? So, I think it's. I think people kind of tried, kind of tried to fight off the idea that PJ would be a starter, but I think it's pretty obvious he's a starter. Okay. Um, so you're gonna have James and Tyrese, obviously. Uh, I think PJ is gonna be your small forward. Tobias, power forward, Joel Center, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Niang, Harrell, uh, DeAnthony Melton. Then you have House, and that's nine guys right there. I think they're probably going to go a little deeper than that. Maybe you see Shake a little bit. Maybe you see Paul Reed a little bit. Uh, obviously, Matisse Thibel. I actually think that Thibel is like just barely on the fringe of the rotation at this point. Um you know they'll, they'll 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 give him chances, but I think the move that they made this summer, especially with getting Daniel House, that was, you know, I think you could argue in some ways that was a bet against Thibel improving, and maybe a a vote of, you know, the opposite of confidence, whatever that is, a vote of non confidence. Is that why the contract extensions kind of stalled today with Matisse? I, I actually would, I would think that that was probably more on his side because. Mm, okay. uh, I was just saying this on another show that I, I think there's, I mean, I, his value to my, in my eyes is probably around 12 to 16 million per okay. year okay. on a second contract. That value probably grades out to about, you know, the mid-level exception, maybe a little higher when, when the cap goes up. 
So, you know, I think there's a certain connotation that an agent has to be aware of, which is my guy, a second contract in the NBA is in his mid twenties. He's taking the mid-level deal. Um, I don't know. That's appealing for a guy who's in his mid twenties and for an agent trying to secure that second contract in the same way that some people theorize that Rus- that Russell Westbrook didn't want to take a buyout from the Lakers. It was because, you know, there's a connotation of being a minute, being a minimum guy on the buyout market. It's that, you know, you've now been, you've now become this minimum deal. You're barely in the league. And that wasn't an appealing option to him, to his agent. They didn't want to go down that route because of the, the, the undertones of being a, a buyout guy. And I think that the similar theory is in line here where if Fiebel takes a mid-level exception type deal on his second contract, you know, that's something that maybe you see out of guys who are on the, the, the downside of their careers, not on a guy in his mid-20s. So I think there's a certain, you know, way of perceiving a 25-year-old taking a mid-level. Unless, of course, it's a guy who was an undrafted free agent and, you know, was on a minimum deal beforehand. That's an upgrade, obviously. But when you're mm-hmm. a guy who comes in with a, a late first-round pick um, and when it's a two-time, you know, all-defensive second-teamer, you want a bigger payday than that. And I think taking a deal that's in line with that mid-level is not appealing. Yeah, I mean, Matisse, obviously, like, I, I think that for the fan base, I think the, the perception is a little soured because of the way the season ended. But, I mean, it was like, you know, before, a couple months before that season end, you know, people are still raving about that performance he had against Steph Curry. And it's, you know, for myself, it was always if Matisse could just simply develop a three, he's already got the athletic, uh, athletic ability. You see the how dangerous he is in the quick transition game. Um to me, if he would have just developed a three, like that's that's all he really needed. But we'll see. It's a, it, obviously the depth pushes Matisse, which you definitely love. I love that competition. I'll say this though, Austin. I, I still think that for myself, we'll see how the season plays out. I want to see the test first. I want to see what this team looks like. But I still feel like they could have used like a dynamic wing guy, someone who can yeah. play a little defense, provide some shooting, some spacing outs, uh, especially on the outside. I liked Eric Gordon, but I do agree with Daryl Moore. Let's not overpay for Eric Gordon. Um, so we'll see how they uh, we'll see how that works out, especially with the three spot. I would have loved to see PJ off the bench, but I agree with you at this point. I think that that's probably your best suited um, uh, lineup there. So we'll see what happens, man. Yeah, I mean, I think the way that I would approach any trade is that, like, you would like to do a trade that makes a guy like Daniel House a little less important to your rotation. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm definitely yeah. with you on that one. All right, um, let's let's focus on the big guy. Um, you know, a lot of talks. Obviously, you know, it's another year for him. Uh, you know, another MVP snub, which you know it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. A lot, a lot of talk about. Um, you know, first off, Drew Hanlon. What a better hype guy than Drew Hanlon, man. Yeah. Um, He's basically an agent at this point. He might as well be. Dude, seriously. <laughs> but you know, Drew's talked about you know Joel evolving his game even more, becoming more of a ball handler. Like I'm just like thinking the craziness that could happen with Joel Embiid's game. Um, but for you, look, I, I, we have to ask this, right, Austin? Like, we know his injury history. If Joel Embiid does suffer another first-round blow, the way this team is currently constructed, can are, is it still good enough to get out of the second round? So if they lose in the first round, you're saying? So if, if Joel Embiid suffers another first-round injury like he has the past two yeah. seasons... Will this does this team the way it's constructed? Is it still good enough to get out of the second round? Uh, you know, it's it's hard to say because 
I think on paper you would say you would say probably no, but I yeah. also think that if you look at okay, well, there's another team out there, but they have to play. Who's the team that they're playing? What is their injury status? Because we we you know we we pose these types of questions, but they're they're you know in a in a vacuum where uh, the 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 Sixers are injured and the other team isn't injured. We can't guarantee that. Or that you know we, we can't guarantee what the other what the other team's circumstances are going to be, so it depends on who you're playing. But um, I think on paper you say Joel is an MVP candidate. He's a top three to five player in the NBA. You would think that you can't you can't overcome that if he is significantly impacted by another injury or if he's unavailable due to injury. That's a good point, man. And listen, he's healthy. This this team is the favorite. I don't see how this team doesn't even make the NBA finals when he's healthy because he's just that good of a player. So, but with that being said though, Austin, obviously a lot of questions about the beard, Sir James Harden. Uh, we came into Philly, you know, we had a lot of expectations for some, he lived up to it for some, he didn't. Uh, but you know, the off season was surrounded around his workout regimen. You know, we all heard the joke. Uh, I lost hundred pounds, tweet that, <laughs> which was great. Uh, but for you, man, are, are you buying the James Harden hype? And what should we expect from the beard this year, full season? So I I am cautiously optimistic about James Harden. Okay. Um, the reason being that he shot, I think, around, I want to say around five mid-range jumpers last season with the Sixers when he came over. Yeah, dude. Um, and this preseason, he shot six over the course of four games, or three games, I should say. So. You know, 21 games when he came over, or 24 games came over, five. That's and you have six in three games. So that shows me that he worked on something, and that he got it to a point where he's comfortable doing it. Um, and you know that's promising. Also, what was promising was that in the last two preseason games, he was able to create space against individual defenders and get around them, get the, you know, turn the corner and attack the basket. Didn't always get all the way there because maybe there was contact and maybe there was a defender in the way. Maybe there was some sort of circumstance that changed his decision-making process, but he was able to get around the defender in a way that he wasn't able to get around, uh, you know, last season. And it wasn't like he was just doing, um, you know, uh, he, he was beating, you know, Joe Schmo who can't defend anybody. He was, I mean, he beat um, Jared Allen, who's a very well-respected yeah. defender, to the rim for a layup. Now, the, the question is, is he going to be able to finish around the rim at an above-average level? I think it was like in the 50s last season for him okay. at the rim. That's not good enough. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I, I think that he shot 47% on threes in the preseason. That will come down. But that also makes me think, okay, if he can shoot 47% on threes, which are theoretically a deeper shot than twos, then the fact that he shot 29% on twos in the preseason, probably a little bit of an outlier there. And right. I'm, willing, I'm willing to bet that that comes up a little bit. So I think all in all, I buy that he is better. I don't know how much better. Um, I think you'll see a slightly better version of him. It doesn't mean he's going to score 25, 30 points every night, but I think there will be nights when he, you know, carries the load a little more evenly offensively where he maybe takes over games from time to time. And, you know, he'll be around that 19 and 2020 or 19 and 22 points per game guy with nine, 10 assists. And uh, I'm sure he'll be in the line for another all-star selection. 
I'm there with you. And I think the narrative was, you know, Sixers fans expecting him to be the Houston Harden. How many times have we heard the Houston Harden term, right? And I, I, I know, I knew that like, he's not at that level, but you know, like, I think that was a perfect, like 20, you know, 20 uh, and 15, 10 guy, something like that is something we can definitely expect. One thing I don't want to see though, Austin is, you know, I don't want to see an Isaiah Stewart shutting down James Harden right at the top of the key. Like that's just something I, I just don't want to see, but uh, you know, from what I noticed in preseason, he definitely looks much more in shape, looks uh, a step uh, faster. So we'll see what the regular season entails. But yeah, a lot of hype around him and Austin, a lot of hype around the kid, Tyrese Maxey. I'll, I'll be honest, he surpassed my expectations last year. I did expect oh, yeah. him to take a step, but not the what he did last year. So Austin, what's what's the ceiling for this young kid? Like, what do we actually expect from Maxey in year three? I had a feeling you'd ask me that. Uh, I don't know why, but I did. I think, and, and this is a great question, because I think it's like, it's fascinating how people do like their, their player comparisons for young guys. So I think there's a world where his ceiling is like 95% of prime Damian Lillard. Like, I, 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 I think I think you can get maybe not get all the way to what Damian Willard was at his best, but he can get, you know, he can become a number one, number two guy uh, on offense, at least um, on, on a championship team. I mean, the way that he has launched himself into this elite stratosphere as a shooter is unheard of. It's un, it's absurd. Um, and it wasn't like it was just a one uh, so far. It looks like it wasn't just a one season thing. I mean, he was, 10 of 18 from three in the preseason. Um, and, it was, and he wasn't just like shooting them off the catch. He was pulling up for threes. He was coming off screens, popping and uh, catching and going. It, it was, it, he was shooting them at a variety of different difficulties, different contexts. He was getting to the basket as soon as, as soon as defenses ever played him shooting the ball. Um, he was terrific in the preseason. It's only the preseason. Um, you have to see it in, in the season, but I mean, at there a certain point of pro progression, you have to think. At what point are we just saying that we should temper our expectations because he was a twenty-first overall pick? And at what point are we just thinking like, are, are we missing the point that this guy is a legit star? Um, so I don't know. You know, I, I think that's a conversation that people have to have with themselves. But <laughs> I do think that. Like he surpassed every wild, every of the wildest expectations you could add for him at this point. I mean, I think right now his ceiling is an all star multiple times. Yeah, man. Yeah. And all of a sudden he became the third Curry brother in NBA the way he was shooting, man, last year. And even this year, it, it, the form has definitely gotten much, much better. Um, and uh, watching him play off the ball with James Harden last year was a lot of fun. And if those guys can continue being in sync and with, you know, another year of development, Harden getting in shape, uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun that backcourt all season long. Um, last but not least, Austin, I wanted to ask about um, Doc Rivers, right? Um, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I do understand the frustration of the fan base when it comes to regular season games where you have the opportunity to put some kids in there that can get some valuable experience for what could sure. possibly happen in the future. Now, for you, is there any type of concerns with Doc heading into this year? Sure. I mean, you know, 
Doc has a tendency to play guys that are older, that cannot keep up with the game in the playoffs, and he rides with them. And that's problematic, especially when you have better options available to you on your bench. Um, it's a consistent flaw in decision-making that he's shown. Uh, go back to you know Dwight Howard a couple of years ago. You could argue that was a problem, and that that you know that was one of the leading causes of them. The foul machine, Dwight Howard. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know the last year with, they lost regular season games on the margins because they played DeAndre Jordan over Paul Reed at, when they was clearly that Paul Reed was the better option, and that doesn't you know they I mean they, he made the right decision in the playoffs, but. Maybe they play a different opponent in the playoffs because if, if you make that decision in regular season. Um, having said that, I think Doc is wildly overcriticized. And I think, um, you know, I think internally the team probably thinks the same way. I think at a high level, they view Doc as somebody who gets criticized, you know, far too much. And, you know, there are things that they feel like, you know, could 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 somebody else out there be doing better than him at this facet of coaching? Um, did he handle this well? Did he handle that well? And you know, I, I I think that that we can you know say you know Doc was here before Maury was. What does that mean? I I think that, that internally there's a lot of support for Doc, um, and um, you know, he's generally if we take the body of work overall, they were a one seed and they were 49, 23 the season after they got swept in the first round. They also basically, you know, for all intents and purposes, blew a three to one lead to the Hawks because they were up 20 plus points in multiple losses in that series. Um, but, you know, then last year they have the Ben Simmons issue and he keeps them above, he helps keep them above water and uh, keeps that locker room, you know, together. And then they end up being a second round team again. So, you know, I think you can look at a lot of things that doc has done well. And if the one major flaw is the way that he's favored uh, older players to younger players in playoffs in the past. Um, yeah. But that's, I think one, you know, flaw compared to a lot of good that doc has done. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's all about keeping it real, right? Yeah, and I mean, I say that as somebody who has publicly butted heads with Doc before about certain <laughs> things, you know. Would you ask the same question to Popovich, though, Austin? No comment. That's off the record. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he deserves the respect because, listen, I don't care if it was in 2008. Winning an NBA championship in any era is difficult, right? He's taken how many teams deep into playoffs? He's handled how many superstar players? In the time of Philadelphia, he had the one seed, right? And then the next year, like you mentioned, the whole Benson situation to keep that team together was remarkable on its own. My main gripe is just the stubbornness, like we talked about. And that's the only real thing that I have an issue with Doc Rivers. I don't think he's a terrible coach, guys. I Guys, he could still coach at a high level in this league. But to me, the main issue is the stubbornness. And we'll see if that hurts or helps us this year. Um, I do have to ask before we get into the fun part of this. Um, you know, last week, Charles Bassey and Isaiah Joe got the axe. I, I got some very interesting reactions. I don't know about you, Austin, but I got some very interesting reactions for you. I mean, is it a problem getting rid of two guys that you picked up last year or 
yeah, both were draft picks in in the 2021 draft. No, sorry. Yeah, no, no, not, not, it's not a problem. Um, I mean, listen, Bassey was late, late second round pick. I mean, usually those guys don't even make the team. Well, not you. I just say uh, a good portion of the time, those guys don't even make the team in their first year. You're basically grasping at flyers when you take a guy in the 50s in a draft. Um, so you know, Bassey, they, he, you know, they just didn't have a purpose for him, and rather than you know, let him sit on the end of the bench and rot. They said, go get another opportunity somewhere else where you can grow a little bit and have experience. And I, you know, they did, you know, they, they did, they did right by him, I think in, in my mind. Um, and then, you know, Isaiah Joe, I mean, look, I think every time we, every time there's a fan that expresses dismay that Isaiah Joe is gone, they, you would then have to say, well, who would he have played over in the rotation? Who would you have, who 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 would have played, you know, who, who would have been benched for Isaiah Joe? They would have definitely argued with you on that one, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should, you're going to keep him over Firkin, Corkmoss, over Shake Milton, over Jaden Springer. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, so, so that's another thing. Like when you're, when you're making these decisions, especially yeah. when you're a tax team, especially when you're a hard cap team and you're, you, you know, you're trying to save space for when you want to make a trade in the middle of the season you're going to look at the guys who are not guaranteed full salaries. And that's going to be Isaiah Joe. It's going to be Charles Bassey. It's going to be, you know, this guy or that guy. And unfortunately there are targets of, of, of those cuts because you're trying to keep things, you know, you're not going to cut guys that are guaranteed money because you, you, you get, you lose them as assets on your roster and you still owe them money under the cap. So you're not really gaining anything by, by cutting them. And you could say, well, trade them. You just made your own point by saying that they suck and that you you wanted you want you want Isaiah Joe to play in front of them. So I mean, it's on. It, you know, it's tough. That and you can argue that Isaiah Joe is more upside than this guy or that guy. The reality is, he's not guaranteed money. They are, and they're going to win that. They're and when that, that and that's a factor in these types of decisions. Um, so you know, Isaiah Joe is never going to sniff the court this year. There were guys in front of him, like Furkan Korkmaz, who were never going to, who were probably on the outside of the rotation um, yeah. most nights. And when you have that, there's just, there's no value in keeping him. You rather do you rather see the kid get an opportunity to play somewhere and grow his game than just sit on a bench or you know do what he does in Delaware. There's only so much you can do in Delaware. Yeah, that's true. Was it three point six or three point two that they saved from from those from those cuts? I th- I think the amount of money that the amount of money they have now under the hard cap apron is going to be about five million. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and I, and I think you know like when you when when you open you know you keep a you keep a fourteen man roster and you keep cutting these salaries, mm-hmm. what that says to me is that you're not trying to just get you know poach some guy on. On, on a on a slouch team, um, you know, at the deadline, you're trying to find a way to add a guy that's making, you know, relatively significant money. And you're anticipating that, you know, look, we're going to have to send out less salary than we bring back uh, because there are salary cap rules that say, you know, if you're going to bring in, if you're going to send out this amount of salary, these are the rules for how much you can take back in a trade. So I think they're trying to maneuver ways and open up, open up flexibility money-wise, roster-wise, that will allow them to make a, a significant trade. Or maybe not, you know, significance in general is, a, is, a, is an ambiguous term. I mean, you know, get a role player that can complement their rotation quite well. 
So you're saying we're getting Eric Gordon? No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, that would be one of I, I that would be one of the guys I would probably look at if if I had to put money on it. That I think we'll see where the Jay Crowder thing goes. If that lingers, maybe there's something there that they can do. Yeah, um, man. That that Eric Gordon skill set's really what I would love on this team um, for right now. But we'll see. Also, appreciate you spitting some game, man, because Sixers fans definitely needed that for sure after last week. But um, the fun part, we always like to end this awesome with a little bit of rapid fire. Five general fun questions. Um, not Nothing crazy. Short answers. Uh, are you ready, sir? Yes, sir. All right, let's get it. All right, so the first question. A couple teams here. Kind of scare me here in the Eastern Conference. For you, what's the team you're most concerned about? I guess Boston. I mean, I got Boston. Yeah, I mean, they're super. They, they, uh, that's interesting. I, I think the Celtics, by the time they were done with with Giannis, for like, get me the hell away from this guy. I don't want to play with him ever again. He's impossible. And I think you know the the Sixers kryptonite in some way will be. Um, you know, the Celtics. I think the Celtics are ultra switchy on defense. That will pose problems for a team that has an aging James Harden because there aren't many weak links in the Celtics defense. Um, yeah. you know, that the, they have Malcolm Brogdon now, they have a very they have a vertical spacer in 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 Robert Williams, who is defensively one of the best one of the best players in the NBA, and that'll pose problems for Joel. I think they can check off a lot of the boxes and meet the Sixers at, at certain matchups. Um, and you know, I think the Bucks have a lot of firepower, but uh, you know, I, I don't know that I believe that they can, you know, meet the Sixers at every point. Um, so you know, I, I think both teams present challenges. If I had to pick one, I'd probably go with Boston. Okay. Okay. Um, for in your opinion, on the second question, who lost the NBA offseason in the entire league? Oh, who lost the NBA offseason? <sighs> There's a couple on top of my head. You know, so the. Uh, uh, Hmm. I guess you could make the argument that the Nets did because okay. of what they're, what they're going with, what they're going through, and just the amount of uncertainty around them. Um, it's rare that you have two All Stars that want to leave. <laughs> really? Uh, no, seriously though. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought the Knicks in a lot of ways lost this offseason <laughs> because when you make such a big deal about, Oh, we're, we're going to get Donovan Mitchell. And we're, you know, the, the, when there's, when you puff your chest out and you say, you know, we're, we're, we're the ones that are, you know, he's ours, you know, this is our guy. You have the Brunson Mitchell backcourt and then you lose him to Cleveland. <laughs> I think that's a loss. Like, like, and then, you know, that, that their ceiling is what, I mean, they're maybe a 42, 43 win team. You know, I, I wouldn't say that they were the best team to make a Mitchell trade, but when you when you were so clearly the favorite, and you botch that, as a you you lose in some respects. And I mean, I, it would be easier to pick teams that tank or the, that are going to go in the gutter. Now, thing is this: are they really losers when their goal is to get Scoot or Wambanyama, and they're yeah. putting themselves in a position to do that? For a lot of people, it's hard to understand. But yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, also, I, I'm having a tough time understanding Minnesota. I, I'm I just like. 
the whole Twin Tower thing in 2022, 23, like, eh, it makes no sense to me, man. You know, they're one of my most interesting teams to watch because, number one, Anthony Edwards rocks. Um, he does, especially awesome. as an actor. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm interested to see the offensive dynamic of Cat and and uh, Rudy. But I also, like, I watch – I watch Cat play defense. He has these big floppy feet, and that does not bode well for guys trying to defend more, uh, I guess, uh, agile power forwards. So I wonder how that's going to work defensively. Um, and I think they're banking on just Rudy being a, a one-man fix-all for their defense. And I think it might work. Because, and, I, and the only reason I think this might work and that it all ends up copacetic is because of how good of a shooter Cat is. But they're a very fascinating team that if it all falls apart, they have flaws that you were like, oh, yeah, well, we knew that. <laughs> we, we all saw it come. It's like Minnesota didn't learn anything from our mistake with Al Horford and Joel Embiid, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I think that actually is it's a little different because Cat's like an obscenely good shooter. And at that time in his career, Joel was not as good of a That's shooter. Like, that is Joel, true. I think Joel jumped 4% as a mid-range shooter the year after they had Horford, which is an astronomical that that's from you're a top 15 player to what you're an MVP candidate type job. Even Al Horford got better three point numbers yeah. now that he left. Yeah. Philly. Of course. Of course. It's ridiculous. Um, okay. Third question. Who gets Dell first in Brooklyn, KD or Kyrie? Doesn't matter time period. Who gets Dell first? Oh, I'm gonna say neither. I'm gonna say I I think they end up staying together at this point. Okay. Okay. Because I I don't think that Brooklyn ever intended, nor do they intend now to make a deal. I think it was all like bad faith negotiating, and um, I think if Kevin Durant plays a season with Kyrie and it's all good, and if Kyrie is available, I think they. I think he'll end up staying, and if Kevin's there, Kyrie will stay, and they'll resign him. Um, but at the same time, I also just can't envision a world where a New York team ends up trading a, a player of Kevin Durant's caliber and then letting Kyrie Irving go. So maybe, maybe I'm just, I'm just, I guess, <laughs> dis- disillusioned by the idea that a New York team would trade a, a star like that, but. I think for right now, I just I, I think they stay. Okay, okay. Um, so you and I haven't talked a lot about the process, um, but in your opinion, yes or no question, do you believe the process was the right move? Oh yeah, no, they, they they had no chance the way that they were the way that things were going. It was the same. It was the same garbage every year. It was a seven eight seed. They had no defined stars. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, Drew Holiday was a good point guard. I, I would have been fascinated to see what his ceiling would have been if he hadn't gotten, you know, stress fractures in his legs as soon as he yeah. left the Sixers. Um, but there's a finite ceiling there. Philadelphia is not a, an attractive destination if you're a middling team. It isn't like you're going to bring. It isn't like you're just going to save yourselves by having nice weather and luring multiple guys to come to your team. This isn't LA. This isn't Miami. This isn't New York. Um, so. You know, I, it was 100% the right move. Um, and people who think that it was a failure, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, like, 
it, it, there's there's nothing guaranteed in the in in any sport, uh, and you know, you, 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 the only thing you can do is put yourself in a position to be successful and maximize your chances without a, and that's the closest thing you can ever get to a guarantee. And the Sixers have largely done that. Um, it's an unpredictable league, and you know they've they've been in position to have success. Unfortunately, nothing is guaranteed, like we said. So, you know, they've gotten the short end of a stick a couple of times. Exactly. You know, people act like Sam Hickey said that he, he was guaranteeing a championship. No, he was guaranteeing an opportunity to, to for a chance. And that's that's all we, we, we asked for. So pretty much. All right. Final question. Also, let's keep it Philly sports. Really. Who wins a championship in this city next? Okay. Oh, you're okay. It's, yeah. yeah, sorry. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Eagles, Sixers, Phillies, Flyers. If you want to Ooh. throw in the union, you're, if you're a union guy, you're more than welcome to throw that in there, too. Who wins it when next? Ah, <laughs> I think I have to go Phillies. I think Phillies? they're. The run on the door I, I, have, I have a I have a good I guess that's a cop out because they're already in the playoffs and they've made it this far already. But I, it's baseball is a bizarre sport where yeah, like you can be you can be 12 games above 500 and you can still win the World Series. Like that doesn't happen. Like, there's no there's no world where the sixth seed in or the last seed in any other sport is is winning a title, and that can happen any year in baseball. Um and I think right now they, they they believe very heavily in themselves, and I, I think they're going to beat the Padres in five, and then I think you know they're going to take care of business in the World Series. But I, I have a take for this though because okay. this is this has been driving me insane the last couple of days. <laughs> People complain about like the Mets and the Braves and the Dodgers yes. like not being there and the short like, and, and look like I I don't really care about that. The Dodgers are the biggest failure. In American sports over the last ten years, they have yeah. had they've had a hundred win seasons five a lot times. Of money to spend. Yes, they've had five. They have had ninety plus win seasons five uh, ten times. I did all this research myself. I know these are facts. They have been the three World Series. They have won one, and that was a that was a fanless neutral site tournament. COVID year, man. Yeah, COVID year. COVID year. They have no room to complain about the way things are. They have failed so many times and and, and fell short of expectations so many times. I don't want to hear a word out of the Dodgers. They are. They fraud. shot themselves in the foot too. And that was at the game, uh, game four, game five. They, they shot themselves straight in the foot. I mean, they have yeah. nothing to complain about. Oh yeah, and, and I got and listen. I mean, the, the the five game format is like whether it should be five or seven. I don't. I don't know. I don't care. That you having to win three or five is a is a winning percentage of sixty percent. If you put that over a 162 game season, you're coming out to 101 ish wins. All three of those teams that lost won 100 plus games. That was that was three of five was well within their pace for the entire season. Why was that suddenly unfair to expect them to win three of five games? You're 100 percent right. I mean, it is what it is. Every sport goes through it. It's it's a ridiculous argument to be honest with you. Um, I'll be honest. I, I do think this team makes the playoffs. The one thing that concerns me is the American League because. The final three teams, obviously, yeah, Astros, Vance, 
uh, Yankees and the Guardians. The Guardians, I like. That's a young, rambunctious team, hungry underdogs. And obviously, the Yankees are the Yankees. So that's the one concern for me is the American League. But this team it has everything that it takes to be a championship team. Pitching's been excellent. You've had great hitting so far as well. They've rocked some solid pitchers for the Braves. So yeah. I'm right there with you. Braves, man. the Braves are complaining. They were bent over a barrel that whole spe- whole series, except for except for the 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 homer in game one from the mm-hmm. first baseman. Uh, it was that, that they put seven, they put nine, they put eight on that team. And they won that series by 16 runs. It was not close. They blew them out of the water. They The Braves did not show up in that series at all. They were garbage. They do not deserve to win. It was, it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Well, Austin, man, dude, it was a lot of fun talking to you, man. I really appreciate you coming on in here, man. You just plug away your, your great work where people can find you as well, man. Sure. You can find me on Twitter at NBA Krell. Cover the Sixers on the beat for the Painted Lions. I post all my content there. The podcast called The Feed to Embiid, where uh, I talk about this bizarre basketball team with an assortment of guests. Um, I also work for USA Today as an NBA contributor. Find me there. That's all I got. Dude, that's a great name for a podcast, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. See, I thought of it. In the, I, I was like, I got it. This is a Sixers podcast. I got to like think of a name. And this was like four or five years <laughs> before I ever even like thought about being in this industry. And I was like, hmm. hmm. And I was like, wait. And then I, a podcast that I that I listened to a lot was the rights to Ricky Sanchez. So I was love of, those dudes. I was thinking about it in that format of podcast name, like the like the the, the X to this, like the X to the Y, you know, like the rights to Ricky it's Sanchez. Great, and then I was like, wait, the best player is Embiid, the feed to Embiid, boom, and then, and then here we go. <laughs> and here we are, man. Here we are. Well, Austin, it was a pleasure, man. Thank you so much, everyone, tuning on in. Stay tuned for more. Thank you so much for watching, guys. Make sure you guys hit the like button and subscribe. And until next time, that is Austin Krell, and I go by El Parcero Philly, and we're telling you guys, let's go Sixers.